I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on 5x5. Bandwidth for May has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5, and they really are the best. Check them out at cashfly.com, C-A-C-H-E, fly, and let them know you heard about them on 5x5. My guest this week is Matthew Ward, a contributor to Macworld and TechHive, writing about audio listening technology and hardware. How's it going, Matthew? Going great. Thanks for having me on the show. It is, uh, it, it's good to have someone on the show in the same time zone. Yeah, that makes it easier. It does. Uh, too many snafus have happened because of uh, time zones up to six hours off. But anyway, um, I should warn everybody that I'm... I'm like really either frazzled or high energy or something. So this may be really wandering, a really wandering conversation. Are you ready for that? We'll make the best of it. All right. I'll keep drinking. Hopefully I'll calm down. <laughs> As will I. All right. Um, so you, you write a, a lot about things like headphones, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, most headphones are probably 90% of what I cover. So do you self-identify as an audiophile? Um, I do. I try to be careful about who that I say that to because I feel like audiophiles are really starting to get a bad name. Well, because um, they're mostly dicks, so I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, no, a lot of them are, but uh, and a lot of them have really um, unpopular and hard-to-defend opinions. But I try to I – th- I think a lot of audiophiles would probably think that I um, – don't take things seriously enough and don't spend enough money. And then a lot of normal people probably think that I'm a crazy audiophile. So that seems like a good happy medium. I think I mentioned this, I think it was with Tim Stevens, but there was a, a test done where they used monster cable versus coat hanger wire mm-hmm. and had, had these self-identified audiophiles listen to the headphones on the other end mm-hmm. of coat hanger wire. Yeah, And they, like 50% of them picked the coat hanger over the monster cables. And that's, yeah. that to me says a lot about the average audiophile. And I think you, I think what you're saying to me is that you focus on the actual sound quality and not the expense of the equipment. Yeah. Like you, and you can look past the cheapness of something and hear the actual quality. Definitely. And I, I love a good bargain. Audiophile. I love getting the best value for my dollar no matter how many dollars that is and um I don't, wire and uh cable is sort of the audiophile third grail um just because that's the part that sounds really crazy to people who uh don't deal with that but um i the like the test you cited a double blind testing is very hard to do well just because there's a lot of things that sort of can confound the results sure I mean, that's true in anything, right? Not just audio. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, I think I think it's really hard to set up when you're dealing with people's opinions about things to really eliminate every variable. I exactly. mean, even in the way you ask a question, mm-hmm. like there's always bizarre things influencing answers. So, yeah, I understand. I understand. Um, so, what's your uh, what's your current favorite thing that you've reviewed? Oh, my favorite thing. Man, that's hard. Uh, there's so many that I that I love that I've reviewed. Um, there's got to be a standout. There's got to be something that you reviewed of your own free will because it just impressed you so much. 
yeah. So, I mean, I think the, the highest compliment that I can pay is that I reviewed something and then I bought the review sample. Um, one of those was a, uh, a DAC, a digital to analog converter. And um, what that basically is, is an external sound card for the computer. So you plug it into the USB port uh, and it takes over the, it pulls the digital audio signal from the computer and takes over the audio processing. And the one I bought was the HRT MicroStreamer. Um, it's a little thing about the size of a cigarette lighter. And uh, it sounds great. But also the really cool thing about it is that um, you can plug it into an iOS device with the uh, camera connection kit. And uh, so it becomes like a fully portable DAC that you can, um, you know, pack if you're going on vacation and be able to listen to really high quality stuff, uh, even just through your iPhone or iPad. Well, that's I've never heard of that being possible. I don't think it's uh, it's possible. It's sort of unofficially supported by Apple at this point. And so there's always the chance that that could go away any day. But um, I'll, I'll enjoy it as long as it lasts. There is a fully digital, um, you know, you, you know what the iRig is? I know you deal more yeah, with audio sure. output, but um, there was a competitor that I saw at a, a tech show that had uh, a fully like 64-bit converter that was an input. So you could like plug uh, an acoustic guitar with, mm -hmm. uh, with sensitive pickups into it and get just amazing quality sound. Yeah, uh, and so that's like zero distortion or a loss on it. That's a, that's exactly the opposite. Uh, so that's an analog to digital converter as opposed yeah. to a digital to analog converter. But uh, same same principle that you're trying to um, move between an analog signal and a digital signal with the highest possible quality. Interesting. So should I buy that? Would it matter to me as someone who listens to most music on uh, a Logitech surround system? Um, would, I would probably would I learn go for something? a less expensive model. You would, you would definitely, you would definitely learn something, and it's possible that that something would be that you couldn't tell a difference. But um, well, well, my fear is that I would learn that music sounds way better that way, and that I would not the, be satisfied uh, with any of my my stuff anymore. It's, it's that ignorance is bliss problem, right? Yeah, and I'm if very, you're, if I'm you're very willfully ignorant. Have, <laughs> and that can be a good thing sometimes. Um, that's from my perspective. I, when somebody chooses to pay a lot more for something, I always want to know why and if there's any validity to that. And so I kind of seek out experiences to try things like that out and see if I really do think they make a difference. And uh, kind of everybody has a line um, where they're getting the most they can possibly get for their money, and anything else is. Uh, just a very small incremental improvement that's not worth paying twice as much for. And so I think it's I think it's important that people sort of try different things and figure out how much they should be spending. You know, for an audiophile, you're all right. <laughs> Thanks. That's what I'm shooting for. <laughs> all right. Um, so what in the realm of like music technology, mm -hmm. would you would you say I feel like you have your finger on the, the progress. How long have you been writing professionally about about music, listening, and tech? Uh, I started in, I think it was 2009. That is long enough in today's world to actually have seen 
transitions. Yeah. So what's the biggest difference between 2009 and 2014 in this area? Um, I think, well, so, I mean, the biggest difference going farther back was the iPod. And I think it was the realization that uh, this little thing sounded pretty good. And if you spend a little more on headphones, it could sound really great. Um, and so I think we're still kind of in the middle of that transition where people are uh, trying something, trying something new, a better pair of headphones and realizing how much they're missing, uh, just using like Apple earbuds or, um, whatever they pick up, uh, like in the shop at the airport because they forgot their headphones. What's, uh, I've done that so many times. <laughs> what's, uh, what's better what's more important the uh the quality of the audio file or the quality of the headphones i mean audio format i'm sorry i didn't mean to say audio file that's weird um but i i knew uh, what you meant um i i know there's i know there's a you know there's a like critical mass point where it's gonna sound like horrible either way you know if the file is yeah is crunchy but if you're dealing with like the mp3s we had in the mid-2000s I don't, I don't mm -hmm. know the kilobits per second on those, but, um, like probably 128 128. to 192. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they, they weren't great and they were highly compressed and, uh, I don't think they sounded really good anywhere, but at that point, if that's your choice, uh, if your choice is between a tape deck, a CD and a, a compressed MP3, so you're using what sounds the best there which is more important, getting new headphones or developing a better audio file? I said it again. Well, there's a couple of things about that. So the first is that your your audio is never going to sound better than your source material. Um, I mean, that just sort of puts an absolute ceiling on how good things can sound. Sure. But on the flip side of that, most people do not want to pick the music they listen to based on how well it was recorded or how well it was encoded. And so I think you should listen to the music you want to listen to, and then you should just make the most that you can out of that. And so in that sense, I think that, um, I mean, a, a good pair of headphones is always going to be a benefit. Yeah. Uh, okay. So what about all of these apps that um, are designed to, I think they call it excite and enhance uh, audio signals? I'm not a big fan of those. I think if you're using really cheap equipment, like especially if you're trying to listen through laptop speakers or maybe yeah. um, Apple earbuds, uh, they can improve things somewhat. But uh, especially if you've spent a little bit of money on better equipment, uh, the best thing to do is to just keep the signal as pure as possible all the way through. Okay. Yeah, there's an app called Boom that I, yeah, I really like when I'm traveling and all I have is my MacBook Air speakers. Boom is awesome for cranking yeah, the volume and up the, and still keeping an EQ going. That's the perfect time to use something like that, I think. Yeah. Uh, when I'm at home, I, I have a uh, volume knob that works really well. But yeah. <sighs> okay. So let's see. I should probably... Because we've had to stop and start a couple times here um, mm -hmm. that no one listening actually knows about because I seamlessly edited it, obviously. Um, Clearly. But I'm going to go ahead and take our first sponsor break okay. uh, and then and then kind of move on and uh, 
and hopefully be able to figure out at some point how long we've been recording because I just start and stop. Um, I've got 14 minutes on mine. 14 minutes. That's that'll work. That'll work. Okay. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and an online store. For a free trial and 10% off, you can go to squarespace.com and use the offer code SPRINGTIME. Squarespace is constantly updating their platform with new features, new designs, and more support. They have beautiful templates for you to start with and tons of style options that you can adjust and create your own space online. Everything is drag and drop, so it's easy to add content from your desktop and even rearrange elements of content within a page. And even cooler, Squarespace makes sure your site automatically looks great on any device, including mobile, because every Squarespace has its own unique responsive design. Every Squarespace site has its own unique responsive design. Uh, you can easily connect Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Instagram, Google, and many more web and social services. Squarespace also has e-commerce on their platform. So if you want to set up shop and sell things, you can in just a few minutes. And if you've ever tried to set up e-commerce software yourself, um, you, you, you will love this. Um, it's incredibly easy to use, but if you need some help, over 70 Squarespace employees are on the customer care team, which is based in New York City. And they're available anytime during the week. And, uh, and they have super fast email support throughout day and night. As I said earlier, you can try Squarespace for free, no credit card required. And if you decide to purchase, it starts at just $8 a month. And that includes a domain name if you sign up for a year. Make sure to get 10% off and support the show by using the offer code SPRINGTIME. So thanks to Squarespace for supporting 5x5 and Systematic. All right. Second block. What are we going to talk about? You have another job. You have a, 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 another part-time job in addition to writing. And it's, yes. it's in a field that I can't speak to because when you tried to explain it to me in the pre-show, my brain turned off. Um, not because it's boring, but because it's beyond me. So what, what was your PhD in? Um, it was in computational biology broadly. And uh, more specifically, I worked with um, functional annotations of proteins. Um, and so proteins are kind of the workhorses of uh, biology in that um, our cells make a bunch of different proteins and they all have different functions. Um, and it's really, it's completely non-trivial to try to look at a protein and figure out what it does. And so I tried to uh, write some software that would um, take a bunch of different information into account and predict what proteins did. That. I, I, like I said, it's beyond me. What, do you use R? Do you use R for that? Uh, I played around with it a little bit. Um, R is a little more statistical. Uh, yeah. Than See, every time doing. I talk to someone way smarter than me, it always comes down to R. So, what what did you program in mostly? Uh, mostly Perl. Um, that was what uh, that was one of the things I knew coming into the PhD program, and that was what a lot of people in the lab used. How old are you? Um, I am 32. 32 years old and you knew that Perl right? before you knew Python? Yeah. Uh, well, so I picked it up in college in probably 2001, 2002. Wow. I mean, I respect Perl and I respect people who are really good at Perl. Uh, and a lot of my favorite, like, hackers over the age of 40 
are are very fluent in Perl. But I don't meet many young people who, after the year 2000, were picking up Perl instead of, say, Python or, or Ruby. Well, I think um, technologically, or at least from a computer perspective, science can be behind the times a bit. A lot of a lot of like the really hardcore physics people still use a lot of Fortran, for example. No. Um, seriously. Uh, that doesn't make sense. Uh, Those people are um, smart. It's good at doing math. Um, but uh, computers probably, are good at doing math. Well, it's it's it makes it easier to express complex math. I would okay. say um, that's not my area of expertise, but um, and I probably I think more in probably the past five or six years, um, Python has gotten to be popular for things that involve image processing and. Uh, Ruby has gotten to be really popular for uh, genomic stuff, which basically means that you're manipulating a lot of text strings. Did you say w genomics? Uh, genomics, yeah. So genomics. Uh, studying DNA sequence. Okay. I, I think I heard eugenics the first time you said it. Definitely not that. <laughs> yeah, Ruby's not good for that. Um, <laughs> yeah. I tend to pick up new programming languages just to figure out how to solve a problem. That seems mm -hmm. like that programming language would be ideal for it, but there's a learning curve then. And instead of just doing it the way that I know how, I, I end up, you know, I, I end up wasting time. But in the end, I learned a new language. I'm getting pretty good at Python, and I just started playing with it this year and never really, I've never done anything production-wise with it, but, mm -hmm. uh, but I've learned enough that I can solve problems. I can solve computing problems with Python. And, and to me, that's, it's kind of a valuable skill these days. Definitely. Well, and I, I mean, it's a, you, it's a powerful language. So. It, it is. Uh, and I'm, if I could go back in time, um, like I picked up Ruby because that's what TextMate bundles were written in. And TextMate mm -hmm. was the editor I was in love with and I wanted to write bundles. So I learned Ruby. Um, and then over the years, Ruby was my default uh, because I had a good, strong foundation in it. But if I could go back in time and pick one uh, like scripting language to really have as my core foundation, I would probably pick Python. I, uh, for some reason, I've always liked Ruby a little better than Python. Um, but uh, I, I only did a little with uh, with both of those uh, in grad school. There was um, the uh, software we used to create images of protein structures is called PyMole. Uh, and it, it's written in Python. And if you want to script it, you have to do uh, things with Python. So I did a little bit of that. And then I also worked with some other labs that used uh, Ruby primarily. And so I picked up a bit of that too. I won't, I, I don't want to make it sound like I dislike Ruby. Like I have no beef with Ruby. I just feel like Python uh, today right now, Knowing what I know, Python is a, a broader, Python can run on iOS, Python comes with default modules that otherwise require bundle and gem installation in Ruby. Uh, Python has a, a structure that kind of forces good looking code, which is you know mm -hmm. an, an aside, but it's nice. Um, and Python can be embedded in applications more easily. Python scripts can be compiled. It, it's, I don't know. That, yeah, I mean, those of, are all big things. Anyway, so this, the, the Perl code that you wrote, uh -huh. do you still use any of it? Does anyone like actively in the field use your software? Uh, it's definitely still available. Um, I'm not sure how much 
uh, day-to-day use it's getting, but uh, there's still a web server that I um, uh, that I uh, collaborated on um, that has my software running on it. Um, and it was updated recently for a, a new paper that came out. So it's still there. So you have um, people, like, is it open source? You have people developing further on it? Uh, so people still in the lab are are developing it further. Um, I wish it was open source. My, uh, my boss was not, um, open source is still sort of a mystery to people that are more on the biological side because to them, you're giving away the secret sauce and, um, they don't want somebody else to have all the cool stuff that we develop because they want to do they want to do the interesting things with it and get it published. Uh, and they're afraid that they will lose out, um, if it's out there. But if I had had, uh, if I had had my choice, I would have open sourced it. Why do you think, do, do scientists make money on their software? Do, do, is it common? Uh, for almost them to never. Develop? Yeah. So why would you not, why would you not want to share the software? Not, you know, not the, the results, not the research. All of that is where you make your money. Yes. Why would the tools be so um, guarded? Uh, so the idea, the idea is that um, you spend time writing a tool and then there's a lot of cool research you can do with it, but that maybe you want to keep that to yourself so that you can be the one that gets credit for it. And uh, like I said, I don't agree with that, but I, but that's where that idea comes from. Here's the thing is there is eternal fame, glory and legend in being the developer that provides the rest of the community. And in this case, the scientific community with a tool that becomes invaluable with a tool that is irreplaceable. Uh, you look at like some of the heroes of, of, early Unix days that provided tools that we still use in an open source format, there is, you can't deny that having that kind of name recognition, that kind of legend status could hurt your chance to get grants, your, your chance to be known in the community. I agree with that. Um, it's just that not everybody does. Yeah, we'll show them. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it's going to be clear eventually. And then the the flip side of that is that when it comes to academic papers, um, there's been this push in the last uh, five, 10 years toward what they call open access publication. Um, so a lot of articles that are written now are written and are written for for profit journals. And the only people that have access to them are scientists who have subscriptions through the libraries of their institution where these where they there are these newer open access publications um where anybody can access the papers and I think uh the people like me who kind of got into science with some exposure to open source and recognize the value of just having this information be freely available are really pushing in that direction. I think that's uh it's kind of a revolution in the making for science yeah uh, okay this is this is believe it or not related. But um, in college, what political identity did you have? Uh, like, were you Republican, Democrat, uh, communist, anarchist? Like, where did you fall? Uh, I, w- I would say liberal Democrat with like a few uh, libertarian leanings. Okay. That's interesting. Um, like for me, 
like I studied communism heavily. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took classes in communism. I I carried a card. I I felt like communism had never been uh, executed in the way it was originally intended. Uh, I've since sure. changed my mind. I'm not I'm not a communist now. I'd, I'd say I'm more of a socialist these days, mm-hmm. uh, if not just a, a bleeding heart liberal. Um, but I think that open source. I think that politics could be informed by the open source mentality where oh, we agree. realize like scientific progress uh, is not – if you take a capitalist approach to scientific progress, you're developing in a vacuum. But if you opened it up, like you're talking about with this – with document access, if you open it up and allow a community to contribute, you can reach new heights. And that's not to say that all open source projects have always come out great. But the the philosophy behind it could be amazing for a lot of areas, especially in a capitalist society, to forego the privacy and proprietary measures of everything. Mm-hmm. We could really we could make more progress. Well, and from a scientific perspective, um, you know, everybody who's in biology is generally a pretty strong proponent of evolution, and uh, I think open source sort of follows those same principles, which is that the um, you know, the cream rises to the top and the things the things that are good get adopted and get better and the things that aren't good kind of disappear. So I have found like in my years uh, since maybe 2000, I don't know, early 2000s, I've solved a lot of problems using programming mm-hmm. and I've shared a lot of solutions, but I found that none of them, uh, especially from the early days, get picked up and developed further. Uh, they, mm-hmm. And it's because I wrote a lot of procedural scripts that were geared towards one problem and didn't know how to step back and generalize the core uh, functions into a mm-hmm. reusable library that someone could then redirect into a new use. And, and I'm getting better at that now. But did you ever run into that with with the Perl scripting and the other programming that you were doing in this field? Definitely. Um, when I wrote software, I wrote software because we had a question and we needed to analyze some data and get an answer. And it was always very much geared not toward the long-term maintainability and quality of the software, but just towards getting that answer as quickly as possible. Um, and so my, my Perl code was almost always procedural and just based on, um, solving one problem very quickly so that we could get the data and then eventually get to the paper. Have you ever gone um, back and, and rewritten? I, uh, I wanted to do that. That was, so between when I completed my PhD and, um, when I left the lab, I was, uh, kind of had a temporary position as a postdoc and I had always hoped that I would uh, take the time to rewrite some of that software, but uh, unfortunately that didn't happen. Um, so it was, it was always something I wanted to do, uh, but it was um, just never something I had time for. And I think that's unfortunate because I, I would, I would love to see more people. I mean, the, the code's still out there and uh, on that web server and people can play around with the tool, but I would love to see people evolve the tool. Yeah. Yeah, and that's I've been going back and rewriting scripts that I gave away for free, and I'm rewriting them for free, and I'm giving them back away for free. 
Um, and I understand uh, in my head that that is not a good use of my time. But I feel well, compelled because I had good solutions that aren't... You can't incorporate them into anything easily. And I figure... I put them out yeah, there. And you don't want to see that go them. to waste. Right. Yeah. But also, I, um, I'll dispute that there's no value for you in that. Because I think, I think it seems like part of the way that you develop the reputation that you have was by making all these cool little... Um, uh, I don't want to... Um, I don't want this to sound insulting, but uh, but a lot of them were just cool hacks. That, yeah, um, no, that's what I do. People solve a very specific problem, and uh, you developed a good reputation around that. And um, it certainly like wasn't I, I by looks or personality. <laughs> but uh, you know, based on your reputation, and um, I think I I heard about you through uh, Merlin Man and Back to Work. But um, so when I saw that you had Marked out, I grabbed a copy because we do all our MacWorld stuff in Markdown, and that seemed like a um, really cool uh, tool, and so I bought it almost sight unseen, and figured I would find a way to use it, and it's been it's been great. But I think you know you you developed your reputation on that sort of thing, and so it's almost marketing in a way. All right. Well, you don't know this yet, but we'll get back to that. Okay. I have. Yeah, it's in the plan actually. Um, okay. Cool. <laughs> you'll find out in block three. Um, as, as, as well, more headphone discussion. It, these are teasers. I should just take, um, a sponsor break and we should get to block three. Cause now all right, I'm all excited it. about it. Um, our second sponsor today is HostGator, uh, which offers Linux VPS hosting. And it's the perfect bridge between shared hosting and dedicated servers. Um, it kind of hits that sweet spot in the middle. Their VPS plans are completely customizable to match your specific hosting needs and can be easily upgraded anytime to dedicated servers as your site grows. Um, HostGator has fully managed 24-7, 365 support, along with root access for complete control of your container and weekly off-site backups. They offer one-click installers for whichever compatible platform you choose, um, and the servers are scalable, so adding more resources at any time is easy. Visit HostGator.com and use the coupon code DANSENTME for 50% off all VPS hosting. And again, that is a huge discount. DANSENTME, use that. Try it out. 50%. Anyway, so that brings us to the top three picks, which I, I have a, a preview into. Um, you don't know mine, but I'm going to tell you up front, uh, today I'm talking about my own projects because I, all right, look, can I tell you a quick story? Certainly. I, all right, I'm on a medication and, and I told you in the pre-show that I was going to tell everybody this, but it, it affects, uh, the way that my top three picks will be viewed. So, um, I, I'm on a medication that it, it turns out after 10 years of taking it, I've realized that looking at the side effect list, I have most of those side effects. And and it immediately, once I realized that, I wanted to stop taking it. And it, 10 years of, of, it's for my bipolar, and I have not had an episode for a decade. And uh, I, I talked to my doctor and we started weaning off it. And about day two of weaning off, I went into a manic, like, bender. And didn't even realize I was be I was manic until like day three of the bender, 
And so every blog post you see hit my blog this week, every project that I finished was done in three days last week and, and scheduled ahead. Um, and at the end of the week, if you look at it all, you're going to realize that there's a problem. There's way too much going on and somehow I'm going to have to pay for that. Uh, but I'm stable now. It's part of why I'm a little frazzled today. I'm, I'm back on my meds and I'm back on my meds. It sounds, it sounds sad, but, um, but anyway, so all I've done for a week now is work on my own projects and I have nothing else that I can pick that is truly of interest to me. So my top three picks are all going to be stuff I wrote. Is that okay? I think that's great. All right. We'll, we'll start with you. We'll start with okay. your top first top pick. All right. Um, so my first top pick is a pair of uh, bookshelf speakers. Um, so these are uh, like traditional passive speakers, which means you'll need uh, a receiver and integrated amplifier to run them. Um, but uh, I've got a few um, good picks for those as well that I'll, uh, I've got a review. I'll get Brett to link to in the show notes if that's okay. Um, yeah, but definitely. you get one of those. Uh, you get this pair of speakers, you hook your iPhone or your computer up to it, and you've got a pretty awesome starter stereo. Um, so these speakers are made by Pioneer. The model number is uh, hor horrible, not at all catchy, but it's SP for speaker, dash BS for bookshelf, 22 uh, is the model, and then LR for left right. Um, <laughs> and it, it, awful, okay. absolutely awful. So but, it's, it's a stereo um, speaker set. It's a stereo speaker set. Um, these are uh, designed by a guy named Andrew Jones. And what he usually does is design speakers that cost tens of thousands of dollars for a company called TAD, T-A-D. Um, oh, but that, he also... I know that guy. I have headphones by him. Okay, oh, go yeah. ahead. Okay. Yeah. Um so he designed these speakers uh, for Pioneer, and they are uh, $130 list price. If you watch Amazon, you can get them as low as $90. Um, and they sound as good as just about anything that uh, you could get for three or $400. Um, I actually use them on my desk as part of like a computer speaker system, but they would be great for living room stereo, great to replace like an iPod dock. And uh, just at, at this price, they sound fantastic, and I highly recommend them. That is perfect. I I, I have a, a set of Logitech Surround. They're basically gaming speakers, and and that's what I am. Uh, that's what I'm used to. And I recently moved my desk into a, a place where I can't put up the rear surround speakers. Mm -hmm. So I've been using basically a, a 2.1 system. Mm -hmm. And it's it's actually it's fine. I thought I would miss the surround, but I don't care. I don't I don't give a flying fire truck about hearing my stereo sound sent to five speakers instead of three. Like I think, it doesn't. Uh, most most people are better off getting good stereo than so so surround. And this these are these are perfect. I will have to at this price. 130. It's in that range where I have to talk to my wife about it, but I I will. I'm I'm getting this on your recommendation. Yeah, I think you you'll sound be super very happy confident. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, wow. I, I have them. I use them. They're great. My finger's over the one-click button right now, but no. <laughs> no. Yeah, t- um, talk to your wife. <laughs> She'll say no, and then I'll, I'll save up and buy it with my... I have $100 in my pocket right now. Somebody decided that... Oh, I used to be a web designer, and I, mm-hmm. I host a lot of sites mm-hmm. still that I don't necessarily bill people for server space on. And I mentioned this to someone and they sent me $110 for the last year of hosting, which does not cover what I'm paying for the server, but it covers their section of the server. And that was very Mm -hmm. sweet of them. So maybe that's going to buy me a new pair of speakers. I think that'd be a good buy. I like loud music, but like I said, I'm worried that I might learn that everything I've listened to in the past has been horrible. (laughs) And I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to get to get to a point where I feel like the need to spend money all the time to get better, better audio and better speakers and all of this. Uh, willful ignorance is my yeah. strategy. But I'm trying. This. I think uh, I, it's it's important to recognize the value of what you have. And um, I, I have somehow managed to stay with the same set of uh, not these pioneers, but my main stereo the same set of speakers for 60 years now, which is a record for me, but I'm very happy with them and to get something better would cost me a whole lot more money. So it's just a matter of finding that sweet spot. Well, it's, it's a matter of finding the affordable quality. Like for me, I, I, I can't spend exorbitant amounts on products that I buy, but I have a sure. penchant for quality. I have a penchant mm-hmm. for things that I know are going to last for years. And I would rather go over budget a little for something that's going to last into my, until I'm elderly, then I would mm-hmm. buy something uh, affordable. That's just going to break. Definitely. And when I see, when I have to use plastic Walmart quality products, uh, when I have to like put them to their actual intended purpose and watch them break, it makes me sad for humanity. Like, it makes me sad that that we focus so much on the bottom dollar that we are forced to use these products that were created to line the pockets of someone who never has to use something like this, never Mm -hmm. even has to think about it. And, you know, the 99 percent are suffering through chintzy headphones and and poorly designed blenders. I I would rather I, I need quality. I need it. Yeah, I agree. There's a quote. I, I wish I could remember who said it right now, but uh, the uh, the poor man can only afford the very best. Yes, that makes that's yes. Yes, that rings very true. The people who buy half price like televisions at Walmart, mm-hmm. televisions are actually pretty good. Walmart makes their money on lower price, lower ticket stuff, but um but people who buy the half price half price appliances and then have to replace them in a year, I wonder if they ever look back and total up what they would have had if they had used one quality television set until it was actually outmoded instead of when it actually just went dead. Anyway. I'm guessing probably not. <laughs> they should. There should be a but website for that uh-huh. that reminds people. Okay, so anyway, my first top pick, uh, what did I, I wrote down, hold on, 
Uh, oh, Marky. Have you ever seen Marky? I have not. It's uh, it's my Mark Downifier on the web. Okay, and did I'm you put actually, a blog post up about this today? Yeah, just just today. And the, okay. the, the, the bad part yet, of that, I saw it. bad part of that is because of my previous little snafu. I didn't realize that post was going up today, and I was uh, I was at the time that Jekyll informed me that it was deploying the site, it with an automated deploy. I I had broken it. <laughs> it was not functional. And so I was in this panic, just dropping F-bombs left and right as I tried to, you know, like I was trying to get, I was jumping back in Git branches and trying to find the last working version and, and get it deployed to this, to, uh, to market. But it is up now and it has the latest improvements. And basically what it does is you send it a web page and it's functional through an API. So you can use it in like bookmarklets and other applications. There's actually a big software company that's going to incorporate it in. Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, but it's it's Devon Think uh, in their bookmarklet. You'll be able to markdownify web pages oh, cool. through Marky uh, if 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 they decide it's it's stable enough, uh, which was entirely up to them. But I I, I like the idea. Um, but it's at markdownrules.com, and you can pick between two versions. Uh, the first one is my vocabulary includes dashes of Sarah Palin folksiness, but I use real words. And the second one is I like to swear. I mean, like F-bombs and stuff. So the first one, if you click it, goes to heck yes, Markdown. So you can guess what the second one is. Yeah. No, don't guess. But you can guess. <laughs> um, I can. And, guess. and then you just drop a URL into the only field on the page. And it hands you like um, kind of an Instapaper readability kind of mm -hmm. condensed version because it, it, it removes all the ads and everything. And then it turns it into Markdown, which is which is where it goes the extra mile. And you can you can do entire index pages. Uh, you can send files to it from the command line and get Markdown back. So you can like turn an entire site into Markdown. And uh, I recently the, the big update for this week is that it now is almost fully multi-markdown compatible. It handles um, all the formatting in a way that it previously did not for full compatibility. And then there's a ton of little features like, do you, do you, do you use markdown? Uh, extensively. Okay, so you know like a reference link where you put sure. like two square brackets and then, and then put the actual link somewhere below. Mm -hmm. I built it so that when you're on the web interface in Marky, if you're reading through the markdown and there's a referenced link, you can click on it and it will find the matching uh, actual, uh, the reference for the link. The re um, I forget which way it goes, but you click the reference and it finds the result and it'll pop up a pop-up while you're reading. So you don't have to scroll down and check the links at the bottom. And on a oh, longer nice. page, this is, it's invaluable. Um, I wrote it because of my own frustration, but I think I think anyone who uses it will appreciate it. Uh, I think that's and then a, you can also a, oh, go ahead. Um, I think that's a really good idea because uh, the solutions that are out there for archiving web content. I use Evernote um, for uh, things that I want to archive, and I just don't like any of the tools that are out there for archiving web content. And I think the idea of just getting the text and putting in Markdown is very cool. Right before I uh, before I ran errands today and then ran back in time to start this podcast, um, I actually built an Evernote clipper that can it sends through Marky 
and then converts. Marky can do the other direction too, so it can convert what it what it converted back into into HTML, mm-hmm. and then can send that to anywhere you want it to go, including Evernote. Um, so yeah, it's it's actually a a really good solution for creating extremely clean markup and. Evernote's like Clipper currently does a decent job of cleaning up pages. Yeah, it's okay. But the markup is not, it's not precise. Uh, the ad, yeah. what's left, you know, it, they remove the ads, they remove all of that. But if you export the HTML, it's not something you can quickly markdownify. And if you clip with Marky, it is. And there, it's like future proof versions of web pages. And the only thing more accurate would be a vector PDF. That would actually yeah. preserve all of the formatting, but but a I haven't text seen a file, good, man. I haven't seen a good like a good HTML to PDF conversion. Uh, Certainly, pa- like paparazzi. To... Okay, I'll have to check that out. Paparazzi is an old app. It was updated to work with uh, with Mavericks, which is the last update it received and the first one it received in like four years. Uh, but it still works, and and it's what I use if I feel that I need the formatting of a page. If it's like uh, uh, the reason that I'm saving the page is because of the design or the layout, then I use Paparazzi with an exclamation point at the end. Gotcha. That's the the app name has an exclamation point at the end. Um, and, and, And there are times that PDFs make more sense. But for information, if I have questions... Uh, and I answer them with a web search, and I want to reference it later. Markdown is is just the best way for me to archive the web. I like it. That makes a lot so of that's sense. so my, so my pick is my project, Marky the Markdown Fire, and uh, I'll link the blog post I put up today that mentions all of the new features in it. And uh, yeah, I could talk about it for a long time because there's a lot of like a lot of hacks, you know, like. That's what I do, right? Um, yeah, I've just been adding hacks to it for like six months now, and uh, it's a it's a hack fest. Um, I can but think it's, of a, cool, it's a few cool things that I would like to do with that, but I'm gonna have to play around with it. I actually I wrote a quick bookmarklet today. If you're on a Stack Overflow page that has a an answer selected, if one mm-hmm. of the if one of the answers is chosen with the big check mark next to it as mm-hmm. the answer to the question. You can click a button in your menu bar. It'll pull the markdown of that complete answer and stick it into NVALT without you having to select anything. It'll just find find that, markdownify it, and NVALT it. it. Yeah, there's the possibilities oh, are, are endless. Yeah. Okay, so what's your second pick? Uh, my second pick is another audio bargain. Um, my favorite type of headphones are in-ear headphones and not earbuds in like the quite Apple earbud sense, but um, these are headphones that have uh, little uh, silicone or rubber tips on the end and kind of work like earplugs. Um, and they're, they're always very portable. And uh, by virtue of the fact that they create an acoustic seal in your ear, uh, they have a very predictable acoustic environment and that helps them sound uh, I think almost always better than the cost that you pay for them. Um, and so this pair that, uh, is my pick is the Monoprice. Uh, this is another horrible product name, but Monoprice model 8320 
enhanced bass hi-fi noise isolating earphone. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm com- writing. <laughs> commonly referred to just as the 8320, um, which is the model number, and that'll help you find it on the uh, Monoprice webpage. But um, these are... Uh, depending on how prices fluctuate between six and eight dollars, uh, which is just amazingly cheap, and they just yeah. How do you do uh, that? Um, I <laughs> manufacturing in China. I don't know. Um, wow. I mean, how to? It's uh, presumably the same way Monoprice manages to make everything cheap. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, but for whatever reason, these just sound great. Um, they're not perfect but the flaws that they have are not particularly obvious and they just sound very smooth and fun and give a good sense of the music that you're listening to. And so if you've never tried uh, inner headphones, this will cost you, you know, the price of one or two beers. And uh, I think you'll get a ton of enjoyment out of them. I'm curious if I didn't already have so many headphones laying around my house that I have tried and, and been disappointed with, I would at eight bucks. That's like an impulse purchase, but I've done that a lot of times. Um, <laughs> yeah. Have you ever seen? And I think I've mentioned these on the show. They may have even been a pick. But have you ever seen the DAC, D A K, Super Bass headphones? Uh, I do not think so. I'm googling them right now. Here, I can send you a link real quick because if you have used them, you will recognize them. Um, they're, they're ugly as sin. They, they look ridiculous. Uh, they're like earbuds with oversized woofers, but they have these like oversized woofers outside your ear and they're specifically designed to not fall out, which is, and and they're bizarrely good at that. And they sound reasonably good a little bit on the, uh, kind of muffled, like bass heavy woofer sound. But if you like if you like bassy music, they're they're pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, this is actually a pretty similar design to the Monoprice model. They have an oversized driver, and then they have the little uh, ear tips sticking out from them. And I think that uh, that's what helps make them sound so good is having sort of that larger driver. Nice. Have you seen the? I think Philips. There's there are these earbuds that have like a round body and then a needle nose that comes out of them. And then you put a big puffy head, like ear cup mm-hmm. onto the needle nose and it like shoots the sound. That's the only way I can describe it is like, I looked at it and I was like, that's going to sound tinny. That's going to sound compressed coming through this little millimeter tube, but it sounded amazing. Huh? I don't think I've seen those. You'll have to, Send me a link when you get the chance. I, I I will. I found them at the airport after forgetting my headphones. <laughs> um, I didn't. I didn't buy those. I bought. I bought some over-the-ear ones that have become my favorite. Uh, they are the Urban Beats. Yeah, I remember you mentioned those on some previous shows. Yeah, I still haven't found a pair that, as far as like travel headphones, mm-hmm. that don't make my ears sore after four hours on a plane. Uh, they're yeah. still. Like and I feel I feel weird about it because I, I if I were talking to the average person that I consider a self-identified audiophile, they would scoff at me and I would feel ridiculous. But I feel like talking to you, you might understand that for under a hundred dollars, this is quality that beat the two to three hundred dollar headphones I was listening to at the Apple store on that trip. Yeah. 
And that's exactly the kind of stuff that I love. And I did find the headphones that I currently love. And, 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 and the truth is I've never found a pair of headphones. I love, uh, like truly like nothing I've ever put in my ears and played. My favorite song has made me say, this is it. Mm-hmm. This is what I've been looking for. But there, I got this pair of uh, Sony. I think they're Sony. If I had them in front of me, I, I would tell you, and I would just make that my second pick. But they're they're earbuds that actually rest outside of your ear canal, and they have mm-hmm. a little silicone like wing that holds them yeah. in place, rests against like the inner part of your ear folds. Is mm-hmm. that what you call them, ear folds? Um, <laughs> There's an anatomical name for it, but I don't know that. I'm sure there is cochlea isn't that part of the year that is part of the year um but yeah and like you can wear them forever and because they're just gently resting in your ear there's very little like aching or irritation which i usually get from earbuds yeah yeah anyway i i'm i'm tempted like i said these eight dollar monoprice headphones i've i've grown my three hundred dollar monoprice uh, 27 inch monitor IPS mm-hmm. has grown on me. At first, I was like, "No, this feels as cheap as it was." But but I'm using it daily now on my on my server, uh, my little mini, and I, I've come to appreciate the fact that they provided really high quality components mm-hmm. without the really high price of of like Apple manufacturing with 27 inch monitor. Sure. So. I, I'll think about it. Maybe, maybe I'll t- tack it on to my speaker purchase, <laughs> there you and go. just call it a writer. Yeah. Anyway, like that. All right. Sense. Anything else you want to talk about in the headphone area? Um. Well, I mean, I can always talk more about headphones, but uh, that's uh, that's. I know that, you can for that uh, second pick. Okay. All right. Well, my my second pick is uh it's pop maker and this is an application it's like a full-on mac application designed to do nothing but create extensions for the mac application pop clip so if you use a mac and you use pop clip and you need to make extensions this might be of interest i think i've narrowed the field down to a point where i'm talking to i'm talking to a few people still but uh, but first, I guess I would first, I believe I've done this on the show before, but I would plug pop clip and it's a, it's a tool that when you make a mouse selection on your Mac, it pops up a little iOS style menu that has, you know, how on iOS, if you select something, it pops up and says like, select, select all define stuff like that. Yeah. It it's does like that the, on the copy Mac. paste menu. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it makes that. And at first, the first time you run it and you're like, well, I'll check this out. And that menu pops up as soon as you finish your selection, it feels obtrusive and you'll mm-hmm. probably quit it and you probably won't try it again for a couple of months when you hear people like me and others uh, raving about how useful it is. Because I did the exact same thing for almost a year uh, and then eventually it just clicked that there are times that I am I'm using my mouse and and I'm not just keyboard only like I often am. And it's really convenient to have the command C pop up right above my cursor as soon as I select something. And and to have it's a contextual menu. So whatever kind of field you're in, whatever kind of text or or whatever that you've selected, it provides appropriate options. 
Um, like if you select a phone number, that's the only time that, that it'll tell you, it'll ask you if you want to dial Skype or others, etc. Um, so anyway, so I make a ton of pop clip extensions and I've actually done some for hire for people that needed very specific search extensions and things like that. So I decided to make an app that lets you make your own extensions and it eventually will be commercial. I'm not, I gave it away. I gave it like a beta away for free on the blog today. Uh, but mm -hmm. I'm, I'm kind of excited about it. I'm gauging, I'm gauging, um, market right now. Uh, I've stopped development on it until I've decided that there are enough customers to pay me for the development time I've put into it already. Uh, but mm -hmm. that being said, it's pretty cool. It's like I've used it multiple times since finishing it. Uh, like all of a sudden I realized it would be really nice. Like the first one I did on, on a uh, whim was to make an abbreviation search that like when you get something like some text abbreviation that you've never heard before, e.g. Uh, like AFI, AFI CT. Like the first time I, I encountered that, that a lot, I could actually. not decipher it. Yeah. And this lets you just select it, click it, and uh, and it'll pop up a search on uh, textabbreviations.com and tell you what it means. So you can do it from like your, cool. your Twitter client or whatever. And I made that I made that extension in less than 15 seconds. Like I just I pop up Popmaker, I type in uh, my name and the name of the extension and a menu abbreviation, and then I just put in the address for the website, and it makes a search extension and installs it automatically. How cool is that? Very cool. Well, I just downloaded Popmaker. I find and I have Pop a clip, so <laughs> there you go. I find I have a lot to say about my own projects, not surprisingly, but we'll we'll curtail that and let you do your third pick. Well, I'd be worried if you didn't have a lot to say about your own projects, but yeah, that would be that would um, imply uh, something bad. Uh, so my third pick is actually a whiskey, um, specifically a bourbon. I think uh, Brett and I are both. <laughs> Did you uh, wait? Hold on, hold on, stop. Did you say it like uh, like Stewie from Family Guy? Say whiskey again. <laughs> if I whiskey. <laughs> it's it's subtle, but whiskey. Okay, go ahead. I'm, I'm not going to blame that on my, I'm, I'm on my cheap pop filter. <laughs> okay. Um, so uh, we're both uh, both whiskey fans, and um, I think I think anybody who's into whiskey or bourbon um, probably knows about Pappy Van Winkle, which is um, just pretty much an unobtainable uh, bourbon, but that uh, many people think is one of the best out there. And uh, most of the, the actual juice that goes into the barrels that becomes Pappy Van Winkle is made by Buffalo Trace. Um, and uh, Buffalo Trace actually uses the same recipe for their W.L. Weller line. And um, so you're getting the same with with all of these uh, bourbons, you're getting the same uh, the same juice that becomes Pappy Van Winkle just maybe not aged as long or not aged in the best part of the warehouse. Um, but whereas, you know, Pappy Van Winkle on the secondary market can be 500 or $1,000, um, these products are all in like the 15 to $30 range. Um, and so specifically, I'm going to recommend the uh, W.L. Weller Antique 107 proof. Um, and I like, uh, first of all, this range is 
20 to 30 dollars depending on where you live what taxes are like how much your liquor store marks it up um but it's a it's a little bit higher proof at 107 so a little bit over 50 percent alcohol um which means it has sort of a nice uh bold flavor to it um and it's a it's a wheated whiskey instead of a rye whiskey and uh i think at that price it's just delicious just like I like a good audio value, I like a good whiskey value. So, um, W.L. Weller, 107 Antique. There was a book, um, $10 Wines, that were better than $100 Wines. And it was just, a, it was a book of $10 wine bottles um, that I, I, I don't like wine. I'm, I'm a beer and whiskey guy. Um, but if I were going to buy wine... I would want it to be good, but I wouldn't want to spend too much. And recommendations like this are ideal. I regularly spend yeah. like, I'll admit, like 60 to $80 on a whiskey that I, it ends up not being awesome. And mm-hmm. I have found that there are quite a few whiskeys in the, say, 30 to $60 range that I, mm-hmm. I would rank higher than some of the more expensive bottles I've gotten. Like, uh, well, and especially with bourbon, um, unless you're looking for things that are the absolute best that you can buy, uh, pretty much all the good stuff is in like the 20 to $60 range. Yeah. That's, that's, um, that's a lesson that every, uh, burgeoning whiskey fan needs to learn before they spend like what a bottle of, was it like Johnny Walker green or oh, Johnny Walker blue over a hundred dollars? Mm-hmm. I don't like it. It's I, that was, that was like drinking just tears. Sure. And scotch is particularly expensive just because it has, it still has sort of a higher class reputation than bourbon. But uh, unfortunately bourbon's getting popular enough that it's starting to go up in price. I still like Templeton rye, which I guess is pricey, but uh, yeah, it's a great rye. I love it. Um, okay. So yeah, this is actually, I've heard of, I've heard of, uh, this, but I have not drank it because I live in a small town where I actually have to tell the liquor store guy what to stock, what to order. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Otherwise I get slow and slow and low rye and which is great (laughs) for making Sazeracs, but not great for drinking. Sure. What do you, you like Sazeracs, right? I love Sazeracs. I mean, who doesn't actually, like Sazeracs? People who haven't had a good Sazerac. <laughs> um, yeah, if I go into a new cocktail bar and I want to see if they know their stuff, I will order a Sazerac and uh, I will watch how they make it. Um, because as, as I think you've covered on a prior episode, when you make a Sazerac, you are supposed to just wash the glass with uh, absinthe. And then pour it out. And uh, if you're at a bar that doesn't know their stuff, um, they'll just put, you know, a drop or two of uh, absinthe in. Uh, But you really want to see, I'm not even sure whether it makes that much difference in the quality of the drink, but you just want to see that they, they know the tradition of the drink and they know how to make it properly. And if they can do that, that's a good sign. There's, there's, you could say the same thing about old fashions. And and yeah, that's true too. The average old-fashioned made in a bar today is such a frou-frou, like, just whip it together and throw some fruit on top. And to me, that's not what an old-fashioned is. No. 
It's not at all old fashioned. I mean, the I, real that's one my, is. That's one of my other favorite cocktails. Um, and yeah, I mean, a good old fashioned should be almost pure, uh, pure liquor, um, whether that's bourbon or uh, whatever, whatever you want to make it with. And then just, you know, a little bit of bitters, a little bit of sugar. Um, Have you ever had it with egg whites? Uh, no, I haven't. I mean, that's, I guess, I don't know if that's it's more old fashioned at that point. No, but. it's, it's, it's a variation, uh, around the time that the slow gin fizz was very popular. Um, mm-hmm. you could get yeah, old fashions with the egg white. Yeah. It's really good though. But it yeah, is. it's probably, it still sounds delicious. Yeah. I, egg, I, egg whites are the, I don't like egg whites in anything other than booze. I like yolks. <laughs> My, we have egg farmers. We have egg farmers that uh, that that we get organic eggs from, and we visit their farm, and they're awesome. And the other day, they showed up at my door with uh, with a uh, an egg carton that wouldn't close, and they opened it up, and there's this like double size egg in there. And one of their older chickens, one of their older hens, had laid a like 1.75 times the normal size egg. And I'm, wow. I I want to make an omelet. I want to. I want to see if it has a double yolk, but I feel like the thing's a treasure and maybe I should like put a little hole and drain it and, and frame it or something. We'll see. <laughs> It'd be like eating that a pterodactyl egg. Like you'd feel bad about it. Like mm-hmm. maybe this was scientific in some way. Yeah. Anyway, where are we? What's her- uh, are I you? just did my third pick and I guess uh, you need to do yours. Oh, okay. So uh, my third pick is marked. I, I rarely get to talk about Marked on this show. I talk about Marked on every other podcast. But um, but I've been doing a lot of development on Marked since the last release. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'll start at the beginning. I'll give you a quick idea. Uh, we mentioned it before, but Marked is an app that uh, it watches any Markdown file, and it actually works with an array of languages and has a complete system for setting up your own custom processor. So you can use it with like restructured text or ASCII doc or whatever you need. Um, any humane text language. And it'll watch the file while you edit it in your favorite editor, whether that's, you know, Vim or Sublime Text or whatever you like to work in, multi-markdown composer, byword, anything you can edit a text file in. And it will watch, and every time that file is saved, it'll update your preview. So you can you can see what you're doing and and what your document output will look like uh, every time you hit Command S. And it can be styled in any way you want. It can output uh, once you're done to like PDF or Word or uh, HTML documents, anything you need with a click of a button. And I've recently added. Uh, well, my big focus for the last month, two months, year almost, has been sandboxing and getting it ready for the App Store. Uh, Mark 1 is in the App Store, but Mark 2 is only available outside the App Store. And that's been a problem for a lot of people. And it's annoyed me. And I want to get it in the App Store. But Mark 1 is not sandboxed and can't be updated at this point. And Mark 2 was developed in a way because because it can include files, because you can create create indexes for entire documents uh, like an entire book in one file uh, that pulls in outside files, sandboxing gets really hard. Uh, but I've got it figured out. I've got most of the problems solved. Um, it's almost ready for beta testing right before it goes to the App Store in the next couple of weeks. And I've added a ton of cool refinements to the interface that you may call hacks. I would call them hacks. 
But things like progress meters for scroll progress, Marked actually turned out to be really great, not for just uh, not just for writing, but for uh, like reading really long markdown documents that you pulled from like uh, even um, like the Gutenberg site. Like I, you can read Animal Farm in it very pleasantly, um, but you can also read GitHub uh, documentation things like that. And this gives you a visual across the top of bar that you've seen on other sites, but I replicated it and. Uh, it's it's things like that that are making it a really polished app that you don't have to think about it. It just does them and it does them unobtrusively. And I'm quite happy with where it's at. So my top pick of the week, number three, is my own app, Marked. And Marked 2. I should, I should say Marked 2. Marked 1 is stagnant. Well, and as I said, I'm a big fan of Marked 2. So um, everything I write for Macworld starts out in Markdown. And so when I get ready to... Uh, proofread and edit it, I, uh, I move it into Marked. And um, then you've got a lot of cool tools for writers in, in Marked, too, uh, in terms of looking for things like overused words and looking for readability and things like that. And so it's just a great, um, great tool for anybody that does writing. The next one has double words, too. Uh, the next update oh. will show you if you type the, the accidentally or if you edit a sentence and leave a double word in, It'll highlight that for you. Oh, that's very helpful. That was a request from Tidbits, who also uses Marked regularly. In fact, the only blog I know of, the only Mac blog I know of that doesn't use Marked as a general rule is uh, is the one I write for it at uh, the unofficial Apple Web blog. And some of them might, but overall, it's not like a standard practice. I don't mm -hmm. hear from their editors regularly with questions about Marked. That's weird. I feel like I should evangelize more at the places I work. <laughs> yeah, you may need to. Yeah, but then again, they would all get free copies, so what's the benefit? No, That's I suppose <laughs> you, when you're dealing with bloggers who have a large platform and a large voice, you're, it's really in your best interest to make them interested in your product. Yeah. I fully yeah, understand that. Good marketing. All right. What are we at for time? He uh, asks his I guest. have... Uh, I have an hour and 20 on mine. Um, okay. Probably, you know, so we'll be editing minutes of stuff, but yeah, we should wrap up and, and I'll edit out the parts where I went all like political and religious and that part where I started <laughs> sobbing. Oh, that was wrong. <laughs> Thank you for your therapy lesson. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, so you are, uh, I've actually, we only had the two sponsors today, so I can go straight into uh sign off here. Uh, you are at mward, M-W-A-R-D, on Twitter. And the yes. same on app.net. Sad news about app.net, but I'm glad they're keeping their doors open because I'm convinced someone will eventually buy the platform they built. It's brilliant. Anyway, uh, sidetrack. Um, and you have a blog at blog.rmward.com. Did I get that right? Yes, that's correct. And it's um, it's seldom updated, but I'm working on... Uh, doing that a little more frequently. So keep an eye on it, and hopefully I'll have some interesting things to say. Awesome. And you can also find reviews by Matthew at uh, TechHive and at Macworld. Yes, and I will send you my... Um, I have an author page that lists everything I've written on there, and I will send you that for the show notes. I know how to find those. I've written for Macworld. Oh, yeah, you, sh you probably do know that. Yeah. Um, anyway. Anyway. Um, that is episode 95. 96? Where are we? 
I don't even know. I have no that idea. That was episode 96, and I am Brett Terpstra. I am at TT Scoff everywhere. Like, seriously, even, like, Last FM. I'm, I'm TT Scoff. And, uh, and I'm at brettterpstra.com, where for the next week you'll be seeing the results of me going off medication. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for being here, Matthew. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. Me too. Um, uh, hopefully I won't have to edit out uh, the really great parts. Um, but yeah, we'll see everybody in a week. Thanks for listening. Bye.